let's start with a can opening. Yeah, here we go. And cheers, sir, to the uh, setup. You can hear the, the bubbles. Uh, Lovely. It's a setup. It's, uh, what's the April April 4th. Uh, 3rd. Sorry, 3rd. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. Happy April 3rd. Uh, John Carter was back in the country. I'm back in the country. We're both enjoying our Diet Cokes. Yes. Uh, which is a sponsor of this podcast. That's right. Uh, Diet Coke for um, when you're thirsty and want cancer. We are recording on a different microphone. I'm sure you can tell. Right. <laughs> At a different uh, recording studio. Yes. Um, we're in my recording studio, which is my living room with my dog. Oh, the dog is still here? Dog is still here. That's puppy Sherlock. Very quiet. Yeah, my best little buddy. So, uh, John, you just got back from Europe? I got back from Europe. I got back about uh, 23 hours ago. And how's your jet lag? Um, so far, so good. I'm a little tired. Right now, it would be midnight in, in um, where I've been. So you're about to enter the tough part of each day. I apparently, yeah. yeah. So I last so last night I got off the plane, came home, hung out for about an hour, and then you and I went to the castle together. Yes. Last night was the only opportunity I'll have this week to see our friend Taylor Hughes, who I want to talk about in a second. Um, he was in the uh, doing late parlor, and uh, so I kind of had to f- forego the the uh, jet lag. I had to sort of like push out my brain. Uh-huh. Put Actually, on a that's suit. probably. Uh, often when I've traveled traveled um, in these ways, it's good. If you have something to force yourself to get back on a regular schedule, that's actually good. I'm sure. And so we were at the castle. What time did we leave? We uh, pretty late. Uh, we left uh, around midnight. Show. We left around midnight. No, we actually didn't hear from Taylor if he did his third show or not. Right. So Because we, we saw Johnny Ace Palmer at 1130. And then so we left just after that around midnight to take you home, which is about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then I went, so I got home. I, I didn't end up going to bed. I, I came home, I made dinner, so I hadn't eaten yet. Oh. Um, and then I, uh, so I probably went so to bed. Made, you got home, handmade some pasta. I handmade some pasta, yeah. And that, that takes that's, like. That's what the handmaid's tale is about, right? Yeah. <laughs> the handmaid. All the things that she handmakes. Um, I don't have a Hulu subscription, so I don't know. It's I assume just about that's accurate. A girl with an Etsy uh, marketplace, <laughs> <laughs> basically. Um,. So I was. So you've been home twenty three hours. Twenty three hours. And actually, tomorrow you're going. I leave in fifteen hours. I'll be. I, I'm going to be in Los Angeles for thirty nine hours. So yes. in the thirty nine hours, you, you have not gone a day's hot chicken. <laughs> not yet. And in fact, I gained a lot of weight on this trip, uh, and so I want to lose some of that weight. So when I get back, I'm going to binge a couple places. You and I just went to one for lunch. It's on my binge list. Uh, uh, the San Carlo Deli in San Fernando Valley. Um, I'm get, there's a fried chicken place by my house, like a soul food place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, called Lay Sisters, which is delicious. I mm-hmm. get a really good fried chicken, and I'm probably gonna go to Howland Rays, and then those will be my places. Oh, Howland Rays, yeah, uh, and then I will go on a bit of a diet for a little what, bit. What do you think the average wait time will be at Howland Rays? On well, I usually go on times when it's a little bit less. Okay, if you go on a Saturday at eleven o'clock, you're in line for about three hours, three and a half hours. Um, if I go, <laughs> that's just some white people dumb shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, it really is, and uh, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I- I'll go on like a Wednesday at one, and uh, the line will be like an hour, hour and fifteen. Oh hour my and a half. god! What time does it open? Uh, on weekdays, eleven. On weekends, and is 10. there like a line at eleven? Oh, there's a line at ten, an hour before they open. Oh my god! I've gotten there the moment they open. And there's already an hour and a half line. Oh my god! Um, my I sister, wish I could stop going back, but I can't. It's so fucking good. And Dave's Hot Chicken kind of holds that off. Hold, yeah, Dave's Hot Chicken keeps me from going to Hell and Rays, but does not meet my uh, craving. Uh, my, my Dave's Hot Chicken's very good, though. My sister was in town last week, and uh, they were staying at an Airbnb near my house. Okay. And 
they were like, where can we go for grocery shopping? And I told them, and they went to shop for groceries. And then they were like, we saw this place across from the grocery store called Dave's Hot Chicken. Is that any good? And Because um, they saw a giant line. Right. So they, on their own, they discovered Dave's Hot Chicken. Dave's Hot Chicken is very good. It's just it's not the, it's not the same. Mm. So uh, I feel like we, we both crossed some magic milestones in the time yeah. when you were away. I don't know what you're talking about. I was well, about to make a joke, but... Uh, we talked about this. I went to my first magic lecture. That's right. You did. Which I... I, I met uh, a podcast listener, Bang Splat. Bang Splat. That is his actual given name. Uh, That's his, his legal name. name. Is Brian Angsplat. Yeah. So when you put it together, it's... Uh, it's B. Angsplat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, no. His name is something else. A friend of mine from high school has the same unusual name as mm-hmm. this man. Um, and actually, that was really. It was very nice to meet somebody that was like friendly that I could talk to, because the, you know I didn't know anybody else there. Right. Um, so I went to lecture at the Magic Apple. It was for uh, Kaylin Morelli. It was fine. Um, I was disappointed by certain aspects of it, and I, I'll say this is not a reflection of Kaylin. My main disappointment was that he ran out of things for me to purchase. Um, and yeah, You do love buying your knickknacks. I do like buying knickknacks, but also um, we have talked before about showing respect for somebody at lectures. Right. <laughs> so part of me was like, I'm trying to show you some respect right. by purchasing things. Um, but I will, I will lodge the, I will publicly say that it, it was slightly annoying that he ran out of the lecture notes mm-hmm. to purchase. Because to me, that's like, I feel like you should have enough lecture notes for at least three-fourths of the people that come... I don't know what their pr- protocol is behind this, but I feel like... I don't know if there is one. But I feel like a lot of times if you... Isn't there a thing that you would expect to be able to purchase the lecture notes? Right. Uh, so, you know, it's fun. we can talk... I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit more detail. I had a very special opportunity to get to spend the evening hanging out with Roberto Joby. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. We can talk... We can get into more detail about that in, in a bit. But, but he is known for giving lots of different kinds of lectures. Uh-huh. And when I saw him lecture at the Apple last year, he said something like he's lectured for... Um, he has, he's, he's given, like, 60 different types of lectures, one of them being how to give a lecture. Oh. Like, and so, which he's like... And, I, and he even said, I think I'm the only one that's ever really done that. I'm assuming going into, if you want to give a lecture, here are things to think about that you might not think about uh, otherwise. Yeah. So... I I wonder if that's like if you want to sell stuff, make sure you have enough for everyone or something. You know, something yeah. along those lines. I, I can't imagine he said that exactly, but I wonder if that's part of it. Um, and so the uh, the audience for this lecture, I will say, I think because it was Kaylin Morelli, was a little younger, probably. I'm guessing than mm-hmm. most lectures. Um, and I will say, I don't know how many that room fits. Maybe like thirty something. Uh, five women. Hey, that, is that a good number? Um, Seems like okay. It, well, okay. I, so I just went to a location did eighteen lectures. Yeah, um, never more than uh, three or four. Okay, so five. I mean, five beat the eighteen places I went. Um, and now here's something that I might worry people, or maybe not. Um, in the battle of like what's important, method versus effect. Um, after going to that lecture, I'm like. Method is winning by a million percent in the in terms of the enthusiasm of magicians attending lectures. Now, it could be skewed by the fact that if you go see a Kalen Morelli lecture, he is very much about the methods. Sure. Um, but like the 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 talk that was like the, what people were talking about after the lecture w- was all about like the methods. And whilst oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, and there's a sign at the Magic Apple that says something to the effect of like. It's not the method, it's the effect. Right. But after that lecture, I was like, no, method is winning, <laughs> at least in this room. So here's the thing about that, which I think is 
important for a discussion like this is as we talked about last week with Harrison, um, so much of what fuels these industries are hobbyists. Yeah. And hobbyists get very interested in methods. And hobbyists get very interested in seeing new things that they had not seen before. So I think there's a difference between what is winning, I would say, when you're performing, I would say most professionals still just want a good effect. They, yeah. Most professionals will still accept a simple method for a strong effect. And they appreciate the simplicity of that. Most hobbyists who want to see cool shit, which is one of the draws potentially going to a lecture is seeing cool shit yeah. will be interested and excited by an interesting method right. right for instance last night I won't say who but you and I saw a show together that you enjoyed more than I did because I was not super impressed by the method uh, the methods that were being used and you thought they were great yeah. um so that is the, an example where he still played a great show got a uh, semi standing ovation from that crowd yeah um and I uh I thought it was fine, and you really enjoyed it. So I would yeah. say, in that case, I'm I'm wrong. He his the right. simplicity of the methods worked great. When it's, that show was over, you spit at him. That mm-hmm. was seemed like not. I boo. There's not enough booing at the Magic Castle. I, <laughs> I booed boo last night during um, was it during Jen's show? Jesus. <laughs> no, it, for it, context. It, yeah, it was a thing where somebody the volunteer was booed by everybody. Oh right. What, what was it? It was like they wanted. She wanted him to pick something or something else. Right. I remember going like, boo, John. <laughs> suck, John. That's right. The, the joke was that he messed up or something. He did something wrong. And so everyone's like, oh, no, John. And everyone's like, yeah, boo, well, John. He also had a lot of friends in the audience, so they booed him. Right. And, so then, and I okay. said, John, you suck. I'm glad we get the context of that. Instead of being like, yep, I booed at a Jen show. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um, so this is the thing that I would also be, that I just think is interesting, is uh, three of the women that were at the Kalen Morelli lecture were students at Magic Castle. Because okay. I heard them talking about it while we were waiting in line to purchase stuff. Um, and they were saying, it was three women, one man. They were all, I think, in a, uh, I think a second level Magic Castle class. Because they were talking about sponge balls and cups or something. And that's yeah. not something that we did in level one. Okay. And they were saying like things to the effect of, like, you see, this is the kind of stuff I want to be exposed to in Magic. I don't want to do stupid sponge balls and... Like, um, they're basically saying the stuff they were taking in the class was not of interest to them and that they wanted to have more of that kind of stuff. Sure. And that was interesting to me. Like, those are people that are probably hobbyists but are trying to get into the, like, their interest in the field is growing. Interesting. And they're being compelled by, like, the flashy side of it. Right. That's interesting. I, I don't have much of a stance on that. I, I would say, I mean,. I, it would just worry me because, like, I bought one of his methods, and it's cool, but, like, uh, if you're genuinely interested in, like, putting an act together, like, I don't think buying a Kalen Morelli Sharpie that goes through a card gets you necessarily that much closer to having 20 minutes of an act. Sure. Whereas, I think, and, and this is, I think, why they teach what they teach in these classes yeah. at the Magic Castle, I'm, I'm only venturing a guess, is that, plus, if we take the sponge balls. There's a lot to learn from the sponge balls outside of just, if, if you buy a cool gimmick, you maybe understand that technology, but you've bought the ability to do whatever that gimmick. Is. If you buy a sharpie through a card, you've yeah. bought the ability to put a sharpie through a card or put something through something else. If you maybe study the sponge balls, you understand sleight of hand. You maybe understand a little, there's a lesson to be learned about timing, a lesson to be learned about misdirection. There's a, more to learn from that about the general art of and performance of magic would yeah. be my my guess. That's what I would guess too, and I also think that those things are kind of also technology 
in magic terms, like technique and technology, like knowing the principles behind trying to like retain something in your hand is something that can apply to that trick, but also a million other things. Sure. Whereas if you learn to do a Sharpie through a card, you've learned that one gimmick basically. Right. Um, so, I mean, I would... Not to say that you can't learn from that gimmick and apply it to different things, apply that technology, understand that technology, I mean, that's, which should be an important part of learning magic. That actually magic. is a why... That's pretty much why I buy gimmicks. Right. It's like... You I'm do love like, crafting stuff. Well, I'm just like, I don't know how this works. I want to buy it. And I probably won't uh, use this specifically, but I will try to, like, build something else with mm-hmm. a similar... Or just opens up my... Like, a lot of it... Like, one of the reasons why the show we saw last night I loved so much is because, like, a lot of it I just don't know how to do. Sure. And you know how to do a lot of it. So, um, yeah. You so, have- it was a very, let me rephrase it by saying it was a very good show, played very well to an audience. It was not the kind, most of it was not the kind of material that excites me as someone who knows a lot of magic and wants to see, you know. Would you say that show passed your, like, why are you doing it? Yes. Uh, okay. I, I would say it, did. it has enough of his, uh, his. I mean, that doesn't tip anything if I say his at the Magic right. Castle, basically. Um, but you feel like it has enough of his, like, self, whatever character. Yes. Uh, to, to I mean, there were some stock lines. Yeah. Uh, well, there's one very stock line that we've talked about um, that is not exactly the. Hey, the aces switched to your hand. Now they switch back. That was dumb, but then paid off in a fun way yes there's a rec- so i was glad that paid off that way right it did pay off still didn't love the joke to, I, I don't know it just the, <laughs> this, you know there was one joke that i cringed at but there's a lot of dad humor in that show there was a lot of dad humor in that show but i would like to say of the shows we saw last night by far for me my favorite was taylor hughes yeah. our friend and fellow podcast host uh, Taylor Hughes, who has a podcast about to break. Um, please don't go listen to it. In fact, we're going to edit that out that I said that. Yeah. That uh, he has no, a No, we'll just edit in worst <laughs> right. over your favorite. Right. Worst. Yeah. Uh, um, that, I just thought that show was so good. Very good. And for, I'll just speak for myself, as someone who has not seen Taylor do magic live yet, it was very, uh, you know, you want your friends to be good at the thing we right. talked about. <laughs> the moment, <laughs> I honestly, I had actually never had the opportunity to see him live. I've seen videos of Taylor, but I'd never seen him live before. The couple times I tried to go, um, I was either out of town or uh, he like canceled or something. There was one time he canceled the, the Power last minute uh, yeah. when I went to go and then he wasn't there. Um, so I never had the opportunity, but we're friends. So the moment the uh, host said his name, <laughs> you remember I leaned over to you and I went, yeah. oh, I hope we like this. <laughs> uh, and it was really, I keep, I've actually been thinking about it all morning. It was a great show. If yeah. you get a chance to see Taylor Hughes this week, this there, there is an example of someone, at least in the show we saw, I know he has some other material that he said he's swapping in and out sometimes. There is an example of some material that was uh, I, um, all pretty classic material as far as the actual nuts and bolts of the magic go mm-hmm. but all presented in a very original interesting way yeah that fit him that was good for the audience that felt fresh that wasn't like hacky that it was just it, yeah it, and he was so charming and he had such he was so present and there with the audience and yeah. such a it, it just i don't know it was like drinking a refreshing drink watching it, it was so good um Spe- specifically i'm thinking of my, my favorite thing was his um he, he does a uh uh, I, you know, I won't say the name of the trick, actually. Uh, banana, banana. Yeah, he does a banana. Uh, ban- Sorry, I won't say that. Banana. It rhymes with banana schmanch mana. Uh, <laughs> I won't say the name of the trick. No, but he did a, I, I won't say that trick because I, I, if you Google it, you yeah, do get the method. But right. he did a trick where um, 
there was a jar of jelly beans on a stool. And he had audience members guess how many jelly beans were in it, which ultimately led to a sort of a big reveal where <clears throat> the number that an audience collectively agrees on is the number in, of jelly beans, and that's proven through this uh, prediction. And th- that that is a very popular trick. Like, we're all going to kind of work together, make a number, and then that number is predicted in some way. Uh, but something about it, the f- something about like a jar of jelly beans, and you have to guess how many are in there, were so... Um, it was like so relatable, and like everyone kind of yes. knows that is familiar with that premise, and there's and, and you can see. I mean, people were having fun, a lot of fun, guessing, like, oh, I think it's this many, and the people were really enjoying it, really getting into it. Like the yeah. first lady he he picked to do that, who ultimately helped him do the reveal, she was like t- totally getting into well, it. Well, he even said like, oh, she said we've already been working on this. <laughs> like the jelly beans are sitting out there. Yeah. Um, Beforehand, in fact, actually, I'm going to say I didn't think about this until this morning. I'm going to say it publicly that you're wrong. Uh, no, I, I don't agree with my note either um, about oh, taking it. Yes. Out. yes. So last night we were talking. He had this doctor's I bag. I was going to say that that's a downside to my suggestion. Right. So we were uh, we last night after we were talking to Taylor, and he was mentioning this doctor's bag that he uses uh, for a pretty funny joke that he uh, doesn't get a lot of mileage out of as an actual bag. Uh, and so Chris's suggestion was, oh, maybe you'd also take those jelly beans out and set them down. Yeah. But then I realized this morning that like you know people enjoyed guessing how many were in there before that show started and yeah. uh, you will lose out on that I would, to um, be fair I think there's other things he could take out of the doctor's bag too well, probably like there's parts of other tricks that he right. could uh, also suggestion another doctor's bag <laughs> <laughs> smaller doctor's bag <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I, I uh, no I agree with that I think it should sit out there from the beginning and here's what was very interesting about that routine that I one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much first off yeah the, the, the premise of the jar of jelly beans was already a little bit more interesting than what we usually get usually we just get people guessing out numbers calling out numbers for kind of no particular reason really yeah like you you know you would um, just like say a number from where right or, or, or the premise is given much later oh. uh, like the reason why you've been doing that has been given much later and you know um, I see but he led with that also so one thing is like we're already excited about the jelly beans and it worked really well I thought like people were on board another thing was that the actual process of people shouting out numbers is usually a boring sort of like oh, mechanical part and, and so was he was actually, actually able to make the process of a trick really fun and interesting to watch yes uh, and I think that is such though I love things like that where you don't necessarily walk out of it like the the genius part wasn't necessarily the method the one of the really cool parts of that was how he made right. the bulk like the bulk of that routine more interesting you see this in books all the time where people have these routines where they have to deal out 50 cards yes. and they kind of try to come up with ways to make that a little less interesting a little right. more interesting than just boringly dealing out 50 cards yeah. a lot of them do not come up with successful resolutions yeah. this was not uh, granted this would never have been as boring as dealing at 50 cards guessing all like, a, numbers uh, but it was really effective I thought. there's a Rick Lax any card at any number that's kind of uh, self-worky a little bit but it requires like the, I forget what it is but the people end up picking numbers you you like combine two people's numbers or something, mm-hmm. and you end up with numbers like in the 30 and 40 range mm-hmm. and then the end of the trick is like cool so now deal out to the 41st card, right. and it's, like, so tedious. Right. Well, let me ask you this. Wait, quick mnemonic quiz. Just give me a number. Uh, 29. 29. Uh, eight of diamonds? That's correct. Hey! Hey! <laughs> uh, we have to edit that out. We have to delete that. Oh, would we do? No. <laughs> it's revealing uh, okay. method. Um, that was a, a large person wearing a diamond bracelet with... Uh, 
World War, no, the, with the Great Depression on it or something. Yeah, your mnemonic sounds dumber to me every time you explain <laughs> yeah, it to me. Especially how many references there are to Hitler and strippers. There's four references to Hitler and four references to strippers. You have to give a little bit of context now. But. This is uh, from the Rick Lax, I thought of it because Rick Lax, Rick Lax released a mnemonic video on how to remember the mnemonic stack. And all of the nines are associated with Hitler. And all the sixes are associated with sex workers. I didn't make the system. I, I will say, to his credit, he did it on purpose to make them provocative images so you could remember. Um, but, it, but you probably shouldn't say it out loud. There's a joke <laughs> that, that made me think when you told me last night. There's an SNL sketch from a few months ago when Rachel Brosnahan hosted uh-huh. uh, where there's like an earthquake at the change of name office. And so the, the whole bit is just like them. Like, these are people we've rescued. These are people we've rescued. These are people we're still looking for and they're just reading off ridiculous, silly names. Uh-huh. So at one point, like, we're, we're talking to someone who made it out of the building just before the earthquake struck uh, was not hit by the debris. Uh, sir, what is your name? He goes, uh, Alan Hitler. <laughs> and then he goes, I, I would really appreciate it if you abbreviated it on the TV, though. And so then it just said, A Hitler. <laughs> That's what I thought of. Um, also, I will say that Taylor is incredibly charismatic as a stage performer. Right. It, it didn't feel forced. It didn't, like, it was just... No, and we even... Uh... We even uh, accepted his sentimental ending to that show. I really, we really did. <laughs> it was great. Um, he was weird, we not. Yeah. Anyway. I, mean, I won't say what that trick is either, but it's not a trick that I love. Right. Uh, and I thought it was great. That's not a trick I particularly love either. And he did it very well. Um, yeah, it was very, it was very nice. Um, anyway, oh, here's enough another, about Tim. Uh, yeah, enough about Taylor, Taylor, please uh, stop doing your podcasts. We all hate them. No one listens to them. And only listen to our podcast, please. That's all right. Good. Um, uh, another threshold that. that I crossed while you were gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is very minor, but like two days ago, I had a dream of doing a card trick. Oh. And it failed. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know how often that's... That's the first time I've ever dreamed about performing a magic trick. Presumably, you had, a, uh, you had a, like a stress dream about a magic trick? Well... How, how would you... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it just... The, the deck itself ended up messed up mm. in a way that wasn't helpful. Um, how would you... Uh, how is your quest of auditioning for the Magic Castle going? How, where, where are you on that? Well, what are the the... Basically, I need to schedule an audition. So the um, Banksplat, who I met at the mm-hmm. uh, uh, lecture, is also in the process of auditioning. So Very we talked cool. a little bit about that. And uh, it sounds like I only have to come up with like seven minutes of material. Right. Uh, so I'll probably sign up soon and just like it actually from talking to him and also reading from other people, it actually doesn't sound like that big a deal if I go try and fail and like. They basically will just reschedule you. I mean, I probably won't be friends with you anymore. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to replace you as Well, host. actually, when we're talking about whether or not we're like Taylor's magic show, I will just tell right now to you, Taylor, Robert Ramirez, Harrison, all my friends who are actually magicians, when you guys actually see me do magic, it's going to be bad. Uh, the only level I'm going for is to get into the... Well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. Please say that publicly. Uh, oh, please I say will that. say that the level, from what I have gathered, the level for me to audition and get into the castle is not the same level as someone who performs at the castle. There, I assume there seems to be a gap there. Okay. Um, I'm talking about in the rooms. Right. Although, theoretically, I guess they're kind of auditioning you because technically then I could sign up for those open mic slots. Like, if I auditioned and got in... Anyone who auditions to get in as a performer or member can do those things, yes, right? So can do those theoretically, spaces. they're kind of signing off on that too, right? Um, but I mean, I would say the only thing I lack in that department is I don't have a headset microphone that attaches to a speaker around my neck. That I think I can get pretty soon. 
You can get one of those. <laughs> we can on edit Amazon. that out if you want. Is that single? A single? Is that the only person that has that there? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Actually, I thought it was fine, but it was just like, I feel like I could project in that three-foot area. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, well, boy, oh boy. We so got- I was in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, I have... Um, uh, I would... One thing is I'm not sure what the context is for the actual audition. I was ask, asking him about it in terms of... Uh, if you're if it's a room where you can like use volunteers and that kind of stuff I mean I, yeah you have to be able to yeah because um, basically I would probably do the Danny D'Ortiz trick that I like kind of modified okay um, honestly I would probably go back to doing it the way he teaches it right because he has a six card pack right that helps you with it mm-hmm. I'd probably do that for an audition right because um, I did it again for my family um, recently and I am getting better at the mathy math side of it, mm-hmm. but it is still a pressured thing when you're talking to people to also be doing numbers in your head. Right. Um, actually, it's funny now that I have Mnemonica relatively down. It that makes it really easy to just do impromptu. Like if you have a deck stacked that way. Right. Then with my family, I was just like, here, just pull three cards out, and like you can just guess them like right off the top. Right. If you just like peek at a certain spot or whatever, it's funny how convenient the Mnemonica stuff is. Yeah, and the thing about mnemonica is just even if you're not doing a big trick that involves a stack, like there's no there's no time where it's going to hurt you to have a good sense of how many cards are in a deck, right? Or where which part of a deck something is in, and then, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's I mean, every trick that you can do with mnemonica um, can be enhanced in some way or another uh, by knowing where all the cards are. So I'm thinking I can do the Danny D'Ortiz trick and then this other one where I uh, I won't go through it actually because I was thinking about it and it would be tedious to go through. But basically like I'll have a card selected in a glass and then I have different predi- uh, off by ones to get myself to the right one uh-huh. and then I'll have the actual card revealed on the last card. Right. So uh, we were talking before if I said say any card except the seven of hearts but there's a heart but just don't say the seven of hearts. Right. And you said two of hearts. I'd say, oh, that's cool, uh, because I had this thing that said I would predict it, but I would be off by two, mm-hmm. which gets us to the uh, five. And then here's another one that gets... Uh, this one also is off by three, so that gets us there, too. And then the last one, I have this. I have a, an Excel spreadsheet somewhere that I can use three of these things to get us to the right number. Okay. And then on the back of the th- second card, the actual playing card, two of hearts, would be on Right. Um, you told me about that before. Yeah. Um... And I think there's this superhero one prediction one that I was working right. on that I think uh, I don't. <laughs> here's one issue. I showed it to you and and Eric, my husband, and both of you clocked the method immediately. Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that that is a super strong effect. Um, so I, that that, I that think, one I would. I think if I get around, I don't know if I'll use the same method for mm-hmm. that. But I like the idea of the which I haven't told you of. I want to figure out how to do this, where if you pick a superhero, and then I say, like, I've got the prediction in this uh, comic book bag, and your superhero is on this comic book when I turn it around, uh, and then I turn it around, and it's, like, Avengers Infinity War, and it has all of them on it. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, and That's, that's funny, because there's a... Go ahead. There's a popular gag that's similar to that. There's a gag where, like, your card is on yes, the back of the card. Yes, and it's all the 52 on one right. card. So then the Avengers Infinity War cover or whatever, and then I pull up the comic book, and behind the on the board is written your actual right. superhero. So 
I like that ending to it, and I don't love the method that gets me there. But I feel like I could figure out something else that gets me the prediction. Got it. Can so. I say what I think the method is? Uh, of which part? For the for the cardboard, where it's written on the cardboard? Oh, sure. Can I... Uh, is it pre-show? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, that I don't know how to do yet. I'm just... The, uh, we've talked about it before. I have that idea of what the trick would look like, and I don't necessarily know how to do it yet. Got it. Um, and so one of the things is I'd have to be able to get if they pick a superhero off a list of like 12, which one they've picked and the, the current method you and Eric both don't like. So I agree with that. Um, and I could probably figure something else out. Right. But also, yeah, listen to Eric more so than, I mean, me, obviously, if, if, if he, if he could clock the method, uh, that's probably not. Yeah. The other thing is I feel like, um, the the reason I've the ones that I'm thinking about doing for an audition are the ones that I think that I could present in a fun like the presentation of them I think I can do in a enjoyable way as opposed to um, these are the like card slights that I can achieve right you know what I mean like I think even if let's say I find a relatively acceptable method for that superhero one I think I can do like four minutes of that routine and and have it be funny and like. Like, I think all the scripting around it, I could succeed in, like, writing a fun... Oh, sure. ...effect, too. Right. So, I think for the... Per- so, I don't know that I would ever do that in public, but I feel like if I can present a polished three minutes of that mm-hmm. for an audition, that I might do that. Yeah. So, that's my thinking around the audition as of now. That's great. Because there, there's other things where, like, I've been watching the Armando Lucero paper cuts mm-hmm. and stuff, and that stuff is cool, but like I don't want to go into the castle and try to do that stuff because I don't think I'm going to be able to do it at the level. I think I'm going to lean towards things that take advantage of me being able to be like be on stage and be funny, right? As opposed to which I've heard you're <laughs> well. Here's the thing. Well, this is what I'll say is like uh, I'm telling you guys now. When you guys see me do magic, it's not going to be good. However, if uh, you can come see me do improv, that is true. I've seen you do a lot of magic. That's all been terrible. Yeah, you can see me do improv any day you want. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm totally fine. Like I'm, Thursdays and Fridays, Thursdays and UCB Fridays, Sunset. UCB. I'm very too. confident in that. But uh, you know, I've only been like aggressively learning this stuff for like a year now. Mm-hmm. So I want to shape my audition to my strengths. Right. So of course. Um, so now, anyway, let's hear about this tour. Right. I did a tour. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. Great. Uh, we'll see you next. Week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was really good. It was really. Uh, it was hard. I mean, it, it didn't feel like a vacation. You, you've toured before. I did. I did a five-week tour, five and a half weeks with shoot in the UK two years ago. We went, That was about, uh, that was like 30, 32 days, 33 days, or give or take, plus three or four days off we had in the middle of all that. Um, and that was, we just rented a car and just drove up and down England essentially two or three times. Uh-huh. The thing about the, the, the reality of these big tours when we schedule them in, in another country is it's near impossible to just like have it all be in one straight line. So there's a lot of bouncing back and forth. Um, this time around, we so we just did, we did 18 days, 18 actual dates of lectures over 22 days we were in Europe. We went to um, Belgium, Holland, France, and Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And every now and again, we bounced back and forth. Most of it was in France. I'd say 12 of those lectures and then 15 days total of the 22 we were there were in France. Uh, and are these... Uh uh, bilingual people for the most part? Nope. <laughs> I would say in Belgium, uh, he in one place in Switzerland, he did English lectures. Every place in France had a translator of uh, varying quality. Uh-huh. Um, 
Yeah, no, other than that. Uh, in Belgium, everyone pretty much spoke English, at least where we were. Well, I mean, now I imagine parts of the... So, in a... In a because I imagine Schutz lectures are more sort of like traditional lectures than the one that I saw. Okay, so sure. So he probably, does he do a routine? Yeah, he performs for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Then he starts, uh, he, he lectures, and then he, uh, so he doesn't teach all of that. Some of it is, because some of it's very complicated. Mm-hmm. So he's like, I, I wanted to show this to you. It is on this DVD. And then he'll talk about, then he'll perform about 15 minutes of stuff that he does go into real detail on and teach all of it, which is still also on DVDs um, that I'm in the corner selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also, there's a lot of theory he talks about. He has this... Um, uh, thing he calls the stop theory or spot theory, um, which is a little grid, and the idea is basically putting yourself on this grid about your level of skill. Um, <laughs> and uh, can't wait to put myself on this. Grid. I know. I, um, I almost had him do that to me. I'm like, draw where you think I am, and I know it would have hurt my feelings. <laughs> so I didn't do it. Uh, it was yeah. So it was. I mean, these tours are grueling because basically you're showing up in the town around two or three o'clock. You hope the hotel is ready. You hope that you can check in. Then we would show, you know, the time it took to get from the train station to the hotel. We would check in. We wouldn't have a lot of time before we had to set up the suitcase for the lecture that night, which involved just kind of making new products if we needed to make them. Um, He would shower, get ready. We'd try to find dinner anywhere we could, close by, you know, and sometimes the client took us out to dinner. Sometimes we had to find ourselves. Sometimes, you know, any combination of those. And then we would do the lecture usually around 8, 7.30, 8 or 8.30 were the average times and then it's like a two hour lecture and then people talk to him afterwards and then we go back and then we, you know, and then so it's like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning by the time we're going to bed and then we have to wake up for a whole nother day of, of that. So it's really grew. And then also we had, we had these incredibly, we have four giant suitcases that all weighed about 50 pounds Ooh. and the trains were not built <laughs> for that. Right. And neither were your body. <laughs> neither my body. My, I might. Yeah. I'm he, I'm such a little, I don't know why he brings me on these tours. I'm such a little weakling. I couldn't carry these things <laughs> very well. The mountain from game of Thrones. Right. He should have hired the actor who played the mountain in game of Thrones. Yeah. And maybe he'll do that next time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yes, well, that's, by, and by the way, you're taking two bags and he's taking two. Yes, I, I have a feeling that shoot is like very uh, formidable carrying bags around. Yeah, he was he he was doing quite literally the heavy lifting. Yeah. On, I know he was that figurative. I only know that often. based on all the Asians that I've known through my life. Uh, strong, able body, strong right. legs, and willing to grind it out carrying. I mean, you know, old Chinese ladies on New York City subways, right? My Karen. God, they can do Ironman competitions. Yeah, basically. Um, so, and you're glad to be back. I, it was one of those things where I was enjoying it a lot. It was very rewarding. Uh, you know, getting to spend these times in these European towns I'd never been to was incredible. But I was also counting the days so I could come back home yeah. and sleep in my own bed. So I'm, I'm happy to be back. And w- what was your general feeling about the people you met uh, at these like the magicians you met along the way. I mean, you know, unfortunately, it was difficult to communicate with most of them. And right. I, so the, the, the very limited amount of time I spent with them was he- super hindered by my inability to communicate effectively with them. Right. I speak a little bit of French, um, but essentially just enough to have very basic conversations. Like, I could not have a conversation about magic in French with someone. Right. Partly because I just don't know the magic vocabulary. They did not teach that to me in 10th grade, oh. uh, all the magic terms. So... Uh, that just goes to my terrible education at San Susana High School. Is Presto? Uh... I wouldn't know, Chris. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Wasn't taught to me. Never heard anybody say Presto ever at any of the magic I've ever seen. Right. Um, but you did spend, uh, well, 
So you spent an evening. I, I, I got to meet a lot of actually. What was what made this nicer than the UK tour was I get to I got to meet and spend time with several real heroes of mine. Let's hear them. In Paris, the first night we were in Paris at a lecture, Babel showed up. And we had dinner with him afterwards. Uh-huh. And then he just, in Babel fashion, who doesn't speak very much English, just started doing magic. Then we just, Babel just did like 25 minutes at this table. It was incredible. Oh, cool. Uh, we, and I congratulated him on his Magic Castle nomination. It was, it was his first nomination in the close-up gallery. He's very excited. So he just did magic for us. That was incredible. We had coffee with Jan Frisch, oh. uh, which was awesome. Jan Frisch and I took the subway. Right, and he kept the, like pouring it out. and Right, he kept it, trying to the sip the coffee. A little red ball kept popping up. I'm like, <laughs> wow, you really have a tortured life, Jan. Uh, it was very tough. And then, um, who else did we... Oh, Matthew, Matthew Bish. Uh, Matthew Bish, uh, uh-huh. really creative magician. Very clever guy. And he had lunch with us. He was really cool and had a lot of clever ideas he was showing us oh awesome one of the, the I would say the most I posted this on my, my social media the most special one was in Switzerland in uh, Basel uh, or in a small town outside of Basel called uh, Muttons 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 I don't know um, how to, it's actually that's a fun fact that's actually impossible to pronounce um, no, <laughs> no human has ever said it correctly uh, so say I now um, we uh, got to I got to meet and spend time with Roberto Joby and that was very special uh, which I posted on my social media yeah so what was this like like so, uh, at a cafe me. or like restaurant? No, he was he was our contact for the um, he was our contact for the lecture. Oh, cool! So he picked us up at the train station, and he took us to our Airbnb, and then he picked us up and he took us to dinner that night, and then he translated the lecture, and then afterwards he we went back to his house and had some wine and talked about magic. He showed us his whole like den where he has written all of his books, and he has this big library. He showed us his giant collection. And Roberto Joby speaks five languages. Wow! And so he he's like showing us these books and like you know from the 1800s in Italian like and this is uh, where we first get a method for any card at any number it's published here you know um, and he was so friendly and he just loved he was so polite and chatty about magic and we just talked to him about magic all night it was really incredible for I, I, what I posted on social media was that you know, when I started doing magic almost 11 years ago and I was a freshman in high school the first book I owned and read was uh, Card College Light and just the Card College book um, mm-hmm. and the whole Card College Light, Lighter, Lightest series that my father had owned and he gave them to me to start learning some card tricks when I wanted to in high school. And what was great about the Card College Light and Lighter books is that they're these self-working effects. So and I could learn them really quick. I could learn them in one night and then the next day I could go to school and show some friends. Mm-hmm. So I was doing that for weeks and I would like every night and I was like, I'll try to do that. Every night I'll learn a trick and maybe show someone like a new trick every day. Yeah. So I was doing that for a while and I was doing all that for those few months that I really fell in love with magic and that's when I really, unlike the last you know few years before that, had, had gone past my... Like, oh, learn this gimmick deck trick for two weeks and then never touch it again, as right. most people did. This was this is how I broke out of that, was finding these tricks and falling in love with these books. And I would not have been, you know, I would not have been in Europe or I would not be a magician at all if it weren't for these Roberto Joby books. So getting to tell him that was very, very special. That's it was awesome. very nice. And I've met him before. I'd seen him lecture before. He did a lecture at the Magic Castle, uh, the Magic Apple, excuse me, last year. It's an incredible lecture, one of the best lectures I've ever seen. Um, and... Uh, so I've met him, but something about being in his hometown, like, you know, yeah. something about being taken across the world to where he is right. and getting to say that to him in his country about, you know, being kind of brought there in some level by his books. That that was very, that was a very special moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I, yeah. Um, and did you... I get emotional. Like, it was very sweet. It, in it was that, really... Like, in that context, would you ask him... Like, hey, can you show me? Like, can I show you my push through shuffle and like, you know, that you is know, tell yeah, me what you think. Yeah, that is a, that is a common thing. People 
after the lecture wanted to show shoot magic all the time. Oh, really? Uh, all, almost at every place. They're like, can I show you this thing? Or, like, or can I show you my linking rings? They would all want to show him their, you know, can I do a video, right? Like, uh-huh. there's a guy who showed him a video, did a, uh, made a video of him showing shoot the ninja ring, stuff like that. Uh-huh. On our last night, I'm actually, I was just looking up through the, this guy's name. I can't, unfortunately can't remember his name. I will bring him up next week and give him a shout out. There was a guy who showed shoot a, uh, like, sort of a control, I guess you would call it. I don't, I don't know exactly. A cool slight that he actually just had published in the tricks column of Genie in May of 2018. So oh. you probably have seen it. Oh. Um, uh, yeah, might it's have. a French guy. It was actually a pretty cool move. So there's a lot of that. So that is kind of that is sort of the norm. I've never done that. I'm too shy. I, I I've never like I've never been a in your face like watch me do this kind right. of person, especially to other magicians. Right. Um, I'm usually pretty quieter. So I didn't have the. Uh, so, for instance, Matthew Beach was showing us this thing, and, he, and he's showing shooting. If you have any ideas, let me know. Because he basically came up with this sort of utility. He's like, if you can come up with something to do with this, by all means, tell me. Yeah. So shoot, and then we're talking about ideas. Then he got up and went to the bathroom. Then I'm like, okay, shoot, here's my idea for this thing, but I don't know what to do. He's you like, say he's like just there? tell him. I'm like, no, because if it sucks, I don't want him to hear me say this. <laughs> I'll just say it to you. That's hilarious. And then uh, here's what I'll say. When Matthew came back, uh, shoot. Did not feel compelled to mention what that trick was, my, that idea was. Well, yeah, he, and yeah, the. Uh, so I think that was my answer, well, and there was my affirmation that I did not need to show it to him. Well, then, my because my other question that's related to that is, uh, what is your understanding of what, like, jamming is, since that's a thing that's mentioned a lot. Right. It's that. That to me is a bunch of. Um, I mean this in the nicest way, but basically just a magic circle jerk. Yeah. Uh, it's a bunch of magicians sitting around showing each other tricks, basically. How, how much of this have you done? A fair, I, I do it in small, like, I'll hang out with Robert a lot. And right. I'll do it a lot of, like, in small settings. Robert and I will hang out. Yeah, and I feel like you would just call that hanging out as opposed to yes. jamming. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, is that the same thing as sessioning? I probably, I don't. Well, it's interesting because I, because I. Yeah, yes, it is the same thing. Entering this world, I'm hearing a lot of these this jargon, and it's like, it would be funny if all these words, like, now jamming and sessioning are very different, as are tinkering and... Uh, <laughs> Canoodling. <laughs> right. Um, no, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm interested in where, where, for example, you might have encountered these cultural things, like, oh, you know, I, not that you did this, but like, oh, I joined in, uh, an IBM ring, and then we, like, got together every Tuesday to jam. Right. You know, do, is there, like, a communal agreement about what these things mean and like how often like or like what did you basically a lot of people are like oh why don't we just hang out and like jam all the time it's like if you actually sat down and do that would you know what that meant if, if it was people you didn't know yeah i would yeah but it's not something i do a lot right. i enjoy talking about magic more than i enjoy um like doing magic with people right you know i would that, that's why i thought i was wondering if you had done any of that with robert joby since you had to hang out with um him. we didn't again we did kind of what i like and also what he i think it sounds like he enjoys we talked about magic on a very psychological level yeah we talked about why effects work a certain way we rather than just doing coin tricks what inner wounds you're trying to heal with your magic yes um <laughs> For me, it was... Uh, <laughs> 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 no, but, like, he was talking a lot about uh, this famous Slidini coin routine that I think he did on the Dick Cavett show you can probably uh-huh. find on YouTube, um, which is a name I knew before Magic, so there's another time where I'm an old man. Good uh, Lord. <laughs> Mike Douglas? 
Uh, no, he lost me there, actually. Ah, you gotta yeah. look him up. Okay. Um, you don't need to at all. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and it was, this is basically this uh, series of coin vanishes in productions, and he was talking about why that was so good and why it was so effective, why he doesn't like most coins across routines, mm-hmm. um, his, and his reasoning for that is they're all the same, and the stakes are never, ever raised. He said, you you, you make the coin fit tr- yeah, go over once, and then you say, now look, this, you know, maybe you have to do a shuttle pass. You go, see, this was over here, now it's over here, watch it a second time, watch it a third time, watch it a fourth time. The stakes are never improved. So he said that's why it's not so good, which is a very fair point. Um, We've talked about that with some other things, just in general, about, like, it feels samey. Like, the last phase doesn't feel right that much different from the first two. Right, which is something, yeah, that is kind of important, is making sure that every phase of the effect beats the last one in some way to justify why you're doing it a second time. And there's a cool trick in a um, Dennis Bear book, the uh, Handcrafted Card Magic Volume 3, which I've shown to a couple friends. I've never performed it, but I've shown it to a lot of friends. So I've shown it to you. It's a cool trick where... Um, you mean you just showed them the book, the page in the book. Yeah, and I go, look at that. They go, oh, you do the trick? I went, <laughs> no. It's uh, rude of you to ask. And I was like, you know what? Pretty impressive. Yeah, that's what we do at my audition. But just hold up books. What's interesting is the way the routine is scripted, and the the process of it makes it feel like every phase is better than the one before it. But actually, yeah. every single phase is exactly the same. Oh, that's cool. But so like the first, so the the idea, of the trick is you cut off a packet of cards, and that'll be our numbers. You cut off eight cards. We count their eight cards, and then we cut again uh, the the deck in half from what's left of uh, those you know forty six uh, forty four cards. So there's two piles there that you cut, or maybe are different sizes, and our number is eight. Then we deal through the top eight cards from both at the same time, and then the two cards are mates from, you know, eight of diamonds, eight of hearts. Um, and he does it essentially three times. Every time you cut off a pile of small num- uh, a small card, small amount of numbers, and then uh, the, the two, there are two mates at the corresponding number. But every phase, it feels a little bit more powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an interesting experiment in how to make those feel different and how to make them feel more impossible to an audience and feel like the method is being escalated when in actuality, it's the exact same thing. That's cool. Yeah. Um, we uh, we can probably head towards wrapping it up. Yeah, we should probably uh, wrap it up. I will say... We're being very rude right now. <laughs> recently, I uh, purchased a book called A New Angle by Ryan Plunkett. Oh, okay. I don't know his work too well, but I know he's very good. Well, Ryan Plunkett, uh, I when I went to Chicago Magic Lounge, did magic. For, he was one of the walk around. Got guys. it. He just did the castle a few weeks ago. Oh, did uh, he? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see. It. I think it was uh, out of town. He's actually. a very nice guy. I heard an interview with him on, I think, Discourse in Magic. Um, but he's got uh, a book called A New Angle. They re-released it on Vanishing, and it's about uh, stripper decks. Okay, I, I have seen that book. Um, I and I got uh, the new Bicycle Elite cards. Okay, and they. Uh, released a stripper deck in those cards oh, so cool. I bought a stripper deck cool got Ryan Plunkett's A New Angle book uh, went to the first trick couldn't do three of the moves <laughs> that are required awesome. but it's a cool book and stripper decks are cool but I cannot cool. do I have an idea that I want to show you stripper decks actually right, but, cool. yeah um, um, the like it was it was like basically like finding aces and mm-hmm. whatever and like the first three moves I was just like I cannot do what you're asking me to do it's like it's an advanced book I feel okay um, but very good book the whole front chunk is about how to make stripper decks, mm-hmm. uh, and I did not know there was that much of a world of. I, I don't know how to make stripper decks. Oh, it's the amount of subtleties that are possible in stripper decks is is much more than I thought. Oh, what you can do with the stripper deck is incredible. No, like making them, oh. like different ways to cut them, oh. and also the equipment required to make your own right. is not cheap. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, it's a cool book anyway, and I think if anybody who's a better card magician than me is probably be very interested in that book. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, I've always wanted to read it. Um, I think there's so much you can do with a stripper deck that a lot of people think of it as like one of those beginner gimmick decks that people buy. Yeah. And then like every trick that's described in those instructions from just like a magic shop yes. is like you just turn the card around and then you just pull it out and you're like, I just found your card. But there's so many clever utility things you can do with that yeah. that I've been thinking about recently about ways to just make a control oh, of the cleaner. read this book then. I'm sure um, I would love it. It sounds the, right up my alley. The, uh, I will say the one thing that's cool about the stripper decks is that and he makes this point in the book, is that they can just be your regular deck for a bunch of tricks in a row. Oh, because they're not that expensive because you're just buying a regular well, deck of cards. And also, they don't, it's not like a Svengali deck or something where you literally can't do other tricks. So, of course. Which is why, why stripper decks are so cool. Yeah. Um, so, basically, you can be like four tricks into a set and then do something with the stripper feature of it and really blow people's minds because they feel like you've had like just a regular deck the sure. whole time. Uh, do you have any shows uh, coming up? Um, yeah, well... Uh, we hadn't and didn't have any information about this. Uh, the short answer is no. The long answer is, uh, since we last recorded, we oh, have yes. we have committed to our time at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, uh, John will be doing a show called Method to the Magic. Yeah, at the Edinburgh Fringe, August first through twenty fifth. Yes, I don't remember the name of the venue. We'll have it next time. Cool. Uh, it's at the Counting House. It's a free fe- uh, Fringe Festival uh, venue, and it's at eleven a.m. every day. Right. I believe there's a middle Wednesday off. Uh, yes, there's like the 14th, I think, is Something off. like that. Um, so that'll be grueling and exciting, and I'm terrified. Yes. And I'm the, absolutely terrified. And the fun challenge of this is it's essentially going to be a parlor stand-up show. Yes. Because of the configuration of the theater, because the other smaller rooms were not really... The ones we requested were not available. Right. So, so I'm basically like, forcing myself to make original material instead of putting up just like bullshit that I kind, could kind of maybe do and it would be... And that was okay. the name of the original proposed show, Bullshit That I Can Kind of Maybe Do. Right. Unfortunately, it won't work for this venue. Yeah. So we're doing Method to the Magic. And yeah, it's a good challenge for you. I mean, it's funny because I'm going to help produce it, but like, uh, you know, I can also be up on the side being like, this is going to be fun for John. He's going to have to come up with an hour long Yeah, show. this is going to be really hard. I'm absolutely terrified. Uh, I think it'll be very fun. Yeah, but you and... Aaron Hollander, who's here in the room right now and being very rude by uh, Not putting this off. Yes, because um, right after we record this, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, so book I'll, your tickets now. Book your tickets you now. Fly, fly to Edinburgh. Book yeah. your tickets to Edinburgh. Yeah. Or if we have any uh, Scottish listeners. Edinburgh. Ed- Ed- Edinburgh. Yep. You can think of it as saying, uh, saying the phrase bread and butter. Bread and butter. That's how you say Edinburgh. Bre- bread and butter. Edinburgh. Bread and butter. Bread and butter. Because the last part is not burg, it's butter. So it is, bro. Okay, Edinburgh. Yeah, Edinburgh. Edinburgh, bread and butter. Well, see, I would never say bread and butter, butter like that. Bread and butter. Oh, you don't eat as many carbs as I do. Okay, I eat plenty. <laughs> of, I, does that change your pronunciation? The amount of bread you eat? Uh, change, yeah, changes the way it comes out of your fat mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll uh, see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye.